0: Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Awesome, you guys ready to get into the word this morning? Let's do it. So I I have titled this message this morning, Unstoppable. Unstoppable, and it's because I believe that as the church, We are literally unstoppable. There is nothing that can get in the way of us pursuing what God has called us to do. And we have to take this world for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And so I want to just open up scripture real quick to Acts chapter 17. And so if you've got your Bible, you can flip over there with me. Acts chapter 17, we'll throw it up on the screen here as well. I want to read to you verses one through six. Uh, and so before I do that, and as you're flipping over there, I'm just going to say a quick prayer and ask the Lord just to just to, just to bless this morning in Jesus' name name. And so, Father, I just pray right now that these words that would just come off the pages and enter our heart, Lord, that we wouldn't just get into the word, but that the word would get into us, Lord. And so, Father, do a work this morning in our lives, and our hearts. We surrender to you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. I love the fact that the early church had a reputation for turning the world upside down. And when I read through the book of Acts, it seems to me that the early church was literally unstoppable. And here's Jason. He's this Christian in Thessalonica, and his home seems to be this epicenter of what God was doing in the city at that time. And they're 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 getting jealous. The Jews are getting jealous because of what God is doing in the city through Paul and Silas and Jason and all the brothers. And so they're trying to find Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas would just go from city to city to city, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the problem was, is he began to say that Jesus is Lord and not Nero or not one of the Roman emperors. And so it's stirred the people, and then the Jews began to get jealous, and so they started to try to find Paul and Silas to kick him out of the city, and this is what happens. They go to Jason's house, and for whatever reason, Paul and Silas aren't at Jason's house, but they take Jason out, and they they, they charge him with something. They charge him with flipping the world upside down. Oh, may God help me. I hope Flagler County comes in and says, listen, we're charging you for flipping the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Listen, church. I believe that we as the church are unstoppable and you cannot convince me otherwise. I believe God is on a move and he's called us to be on a move with him. Are you ready, church? Are you ready? When man rebelled against God in the garden of Eden, the world was thrown into this rebellious, chaotic thing. The world wasn't what it was supposed to be or intended to be any longer. It was literally upside down. But when Jesus comes in on the scene, he begins to turn it right side up. The problem is that they were standing on their head and that's why they saw it a certain way and they thought they were flipping it upside down, but in reality, they were turning it right side up. And this is what Jesus had taught them to do. Jesus taught them to go to flip the world upside down. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus spoke of a rich man who was able to, he he, he had collected all this wealth in his lifetime and all he could think about was building these large barns to house his wealth. Now, we might think this man is, oh, he's an important man or maybe he's gonna be a civic leader. I mean, this is, yeah, everybody's looking up to this guy, but Jesus has a different thought. Jesus turns the world upside down and calls the man a fool. Why? Because he had done nothing to make his life matter for God's kingdom. And he was focused on the world's kingdom. The early church was unstoppable. And I believe you and I as the church are unstoppable. Now, one of the things that gave the early church, the momentum to turn the world upside down was love. Love. They recognized the love that God had for them, but they were compelled, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, by the love of Christ. It was the driving force behind them. It was the love of Christ that drove them. Listen, in Christ, you are not Alone, you're part of a team assembled by our unstoppable God to achieve his eternal purposes. And I know, having walked the Christian life long enough, that sometimes we feel stuck in life. There's times where we feel trapped. And there's different things that, seem, that's, that tend to trap us. Sometimes it's, it's doubt. Sometimes it's, it's, it's bondage. And there's these different things that tend to to hold us back and to keep us from truly moving forward. Sometimes it's, it's hopelessness. Sometimes hopelessness creeps in and keeps us from truly moving forward. Sometimes... It's it's discouragement that that keeps us from moving forward, and sometimes it's 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 weakness that keeps us from moving forward, and other times it's it's fear. That's a big one. Fear keeps us from moving forward, and and then there's anxiety. I mean, how many of us have not had anxiety that it just keeps us from moving forward? It stops us right in our place. And then there's rejection. I mean, I, I how many of us have been rejected? Absolutely. And then hatred in our own hearts that keep us from moving forward. And here's the problem. We get we get here and we're, we're like, God, would you just do a move? And we feel stuck and we don't know what's going on. And we're like, God, would you just move? I want God to show up, please. And he's saying, listen, I showed up 2000 years ago and I did a move and I sent you the Holy Spirit so that you can move. And when Jesus died on that cross, he destroyed every last one of these. He says, listen, when I came, I'm going to exchange weakness for strength. I'm going to exchange doubt for truth. I'm going to exchange bondage for freedom. I'm going to exchange fear for life, discouragement for courage happiness, uh, hopelessness, excuse me, for hope, anxiety, for peace, rejection, for acceptance, and hatred, for love. When Jesus came on that cross, he exchanged all of those. So now we are no longer stuck, but all that's been moved away so that we can move forward in God. And I believe this church, God is giving us permission to stop listening to the whispers of the lies of the enemy so we can start hearing the sirens of his love for us and for this world. Second Timothy, Paul says, hey, listen, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power of love and self-control. In Galatians, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law. Against any of this, there is no law. And the greatest commandment, the one that can sum up the entire law, says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Love should be the essence of our being. These things... They tend to stop us. They tend to keep us from moving forward. They tend to isolate us. But when the love of Christ comes into our hearts, we are unstoppable. It's the love of Christ that keeps us moving forward. And before you know it, we've got a reputation of flipping the world upside down. You and I were created in love, through love and for love. And I believe this is the great news of Jesus Christ that we have and we get to go out and share it with the world. I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Roseanne. She grew up in Texas and she was called by her family to come out to Colorado because in Texas, you can't do a whole lot of snow skiing. Uh, About the only skiing in Texas you can do is water skiing. And so she was invited out to Colorado to learn how to ski the slopes in Colorado. And so she goes out to Colorado and she's, you know, she's learning her family's teaching her how to actually ski And they're showing her, you know, when, when, you're, when you get in your skis, you know, kind of lean back, don't lean forward. You know, and when you're going down a hill, you don't just go straight down, you gotta do this. This is how you stop, this is how you get going faster. And so, you know, she thinks she's fully equipped and there she is on top of the on top of the mountain. She's about to ski down. She starts going down the, the slopes of Colorado. And, and, and before you know it, she's gaining speed and she's gaining more speed and she's gaining more speed. And she's trying to think back, how did we stop again? I don't remember. And, and she goes a-tumbling and a-tumbling. And unfortunately, her trip became devastating because she broke her leg. And so she was totally bummed, and her family was totally bummed. They took her to the hospital, casted her leg up, took her home, and her family thought, you know what? We just feel so bad. We want to try to cheer you up somewhat. You know, we really thank you for coming out. This is such a bummer, but let let us take you out to dinner. We know a really good restaurant. We'd love to take you out to dinner and just wine and dine you a little bit. And so they do. They take her out to this really nice restaurant. They're all gathered around the table, and, and she excuses herself to go to the ladies' room. And as she goes into the ladies room, she explains to me what there's this huge mural on the wall of the Garden of Eden. And she said it was just fascinating, Adam. She said there was the trees, the fruit trees and all the animals. And then right there in the middle was Adam and Eve. And she said the peculiar thing was that Adam and Eve had fig leaves, but these fig leaves were wooden blocks carved into fig leaves with hinges on them. And you could go up and you could lift up the fig leaf to see what was under. And she said, Adam, I'm, I'm a lady. There's no way, I'm a Christian lady. There is no way I'm lifting up that fig leaf. So she does whatever women do in the bathroom. And then she's about to leave the bathroom. And, and as she's pushing the door open, there, there's this thing it's like the red button that says, do not push. And, and she just, she said, Adam, I couldn't help it. I couldn't resist the temptation. I'm like, and so she goes back to, to Adam and she, she goes to lift up the fig leaf. And she says to her horror, when she lifted up that fig leaf, an entire alarm sounded throughout the entire restaurant. Now she's, she's petrified, But then all of a sudden she hears even something more disturbing. Her entire family is belly laughing out there. And now she knows she's been exposed. She's been found out. Her family knows you lifted up that fig leaf. She didn't want to leave the bathroom. Many of us would not want to leave the bathroom either but she, she had this fear that overcame her that, that she was found out. There was this perception that now people had of her that were real. The first time fear is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter three, verse 10. And this is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden after they had eaten of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there they are. God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the day and hang out with his, his son and his daughter there. And so they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they realize what? They're naked. They're exposed, right? So when God's coming down, they're running and they're hiding. And God is saying, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? And this is what Adam says uh, when God's asked him in, in chapter three, verse 10, he says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. And it says, I was afraid because I was naked. And so what does God do? I love what he does. He cuts open an animal and he wraps Adam and Eve covering their shame, covering their guilt, covering the fact that they had been exposed. In fact, I believe it's a prophetic declaration of what Jesus does on the cross for you and me. Check it out. Some of us feel stuck. We're stuck behind the wall. We can't move from behind the wall. We feel frozen in life, but listen, we can't move forward, but God has put a calling in each of our lives that are here today, and he has empowered us to go after the things Amen. of God, yes. and I understand that sometimes we feel stuck. Ever since I was a little kid, I, used to, I, I, I loved my, the favorite character in the Bible was David for me. I just loved it. I loved how he was so young and yet he wasn't afraid to be used by God to do these crazy, awesome things. And as a kid, I could never hear the stories enough about him beating up bears and uh, taking out lions. It was like, are you serious? This stuff is real? Wow. And I especially loved the UFC fight, you know, between him and Goliath, you know, as he takes out Goliath and he uses a slingshot. I mean, like that is so awesome. A slingshot? Are you serious? And what they didn't tell me in kids ministry and I finally learned in youth ministry was that they actually chopped off his head and he walked around holding Goliath's head. I mean, this is classic. This is what movies are made of. <laughs> I used to love those stories, right? But I also love the way you can squint your eyes and you can look at David's life and you can see Christ in him. It says, Jesus was called the son of David. And like David, he was anointed as, God, as king in God's eyes before men recognized who he was. And he came to shepherd the lost sheep, Of the house of Israel. And like David conquering Goliath of Gath, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, and sickness by dying on Golgotha for you and me. Listen, he took our betrayal. He took our rejection. He took our hopelessness. He took our fear and he destroyed it on the cross and he exchanged it for love, for something so much more, that momentum that gets us going. So this wall is destroyed. We are no longer stuck in Peter. It says that you have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. In other words, you have everything that You need to go in the name of Jesus. When Jesus left, what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit to come with us. Anyone who dares to live out God's dream is going to experience pushback from the other team. And I wanna take the rest of the time this morning and I wanna give you three handles or three practical ways of how we can remain unstoppable as the church. Number one, outlook determines outcome. Outlook determines outcome. How the world looks depends on where you're standing. How you see things really does make a difference. And when you start to change the way you look at things, things will start to change the way they look. Now we all encounter problems. In fact, in James it says, hey, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter these various trials. In other words, as you're going after the things of God, as we're living out the life that God has called us to, we're going to encounter some things in life. Sometimes they're external things, sometimes they're internal things, but we are to consider it all joy when we go after the things of God and encounter those trials. But the way we react to those problems are extremely important. And maybe you think your problem or your trial is just too big for you to handle. When it's too big for you to handle, it's just the right size for God to handle. Your perception about the problem is often more of a problem than the problem itself. And listen, some of us have died in our 20s, and we're not even going to be buried until our 70s. Jesus did not come so that we could live a dead life. Jesus came to give us life so that we could go and share that life with others. Let's stop existing and let's start living the life that God has given us. I wanna illustrate this idea that outlook determines outcome using two characters in the Bible, Abraham and Lot. Now, this is a radical story. You can go to Genesis chapter 12 is where it starts and 13, and it starts talking about the call of Abraham and God. how God had called him out of that land that he knew he was so comfortable with. He had a nice job. He had a nice house. You know, he had things going for him and he called him out of that to something that he didn't know. He didn't know how he was gonna survive. He didn't know what it was gonna look like, but he took along his nephew Lot with him and they go. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it begins to kind of break down in a a small portion of what this looked like. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses eight through 10. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God, obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God had promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. That was was Abraham's outlook on life. That's how he saw life, by faith, through faith, trusting God. But but there came a time when Abraham and Lot, it just got too crazy, too big, so they had to separate. And Lot took a little bit of a different position. It says in, excuse me, it says in Genesis that, that Lot had, he didn't see things the way that Abraham saw him. Lot, he was less concerned about what God was doing than he was about getting what he wanted. And it says in Genesis that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Get that? Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. As Lot looked east, that was the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot eventually, he saw the lush land and how things would work out really well for him. So he began to journey that way. And you know the story, he ended up in Sodom and it was a really bad thing. And I want you to see something that's extremely important. There's a contrast there. Abraham had his eyes of faith on God and his word, so he had no interest in the world's real estate, but Lot, who had tasted the pleasures of the world in Egypt, gradually moved towards Sodom. Abraham brought blessing. Lot brought judgment. Outlook determines outcome. Let me illustrate it to you in a little bit of a different light. If you can go to the next slide. <clears throat> There's a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. And Mr. Frankl lived uh, in, the, in a concentration camp in Nazi, Nazi Germany during World War II. He was, his family was literally murdered right there in front of him. He was stripped of everything that he had. He was physically beaten and he was mentally tortured. But I wanna read to you one of his most popular quotes. And as I read this, I want you to keep in mind that this is actually what, is believed to save his life, to have saved his life. Everything can be taken from a man or a woman, but one thing, the last of human freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Wow. Now, here's a man who had every reason to hate the world, to hate God. How could you leave me like this, God? How could you do this to my family? How could you allow this to happen? He had every reason, but he chose not to. He didn't. He didn't allow his circumstances to change his attitude. In fact, he allowed his attitude to change his circumstances. Outlook determines outcome. Your attitude determines your actions. Listen, there's nothing that paralyzes our lives more in the kingdom of God when we have this attitude that things can never change. And we need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. If we only see the problems, we're gonna be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, we have victory. Overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ. Listen, you can look out at the world and we're celebrating women's you know month today, or this month, awesome. Praise God for the women, right? Yeah. this Right before service, Kathy and, and, and Heidi and I were out there and I'm just watching them and they love Jesus. They're praying over me and they're just, I'm like, Gee, this is the reason. These are the women who I am today because of women like this. My grandmother was a hero of mine. I mean, let's celebrate women. Let's just not do this. Let's not make a man a woman and then celebrate that man as a woman. That's what the world is doing right now. Now you can look at that situation and you can get angry and maybe there's some righteous anger that needs to come from that. And you can get angry and you can say, oh, the world's done. No, I believe that the power of the gospel that changed my life can change that man's life can change that kid's life who's confused, can change that woman's life who's confused. I believe the power of the gospel can change from the inside out. And I've seen this happen. We, we were in Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. That's where I was a youth pastor for a long time. And we had two women walk in. Now these two women, they, you could tell as soon as they walked in, they're gay. It was, it was very obvious that they were gay. Nobody said anything about them being gay. In fact, one of the biggest guys in the church that played our drums, just a big scary guy, he walks up to him and he's like, Welcome to the church. And he gives him a big hug. And they come in and they sit down. Six months they attended our church. Nobody called him out for being gay. Good, bad, indifferent, I have no idea, but nobody called him out for being gay. And all of a sudden, we're going through the word of God, and in Romans chapter one, it talks about homosexuality, and the pastor is preaching on this particular passage, and all of a sudden, the Lord hits the hearts of these two women, and on the way home, they begin to talk to each other, and they say, listen, we love Jesus, we can't be together, we have to separate, God has not called us to this lifestyle, nobody said anything to them, but the power of the gospel came into their lives and changed them, and today, that one of those women is going around from church to church to church to church to to share the testimony of how the power of the gospel began to transform her. Listen, there is hope for this world. Don't give up on this world. Church, don't allow that to stop you because we are unstoppable. Outlook determines outcome. Our attitude needs to be one that says there is nothing that stops us from moving forward. Nothing. There may be delays, but delays don't mean I'm being denied. Whatever it takes, We have to move forward in the kingdom of God for the glory of God. I was inspired by this story about men and women who feel called to make a difference in the Amazon. Like they feel literally called to go to the Amazon. I have no idea why. I'm just like, wow, okay. So they joined the US Peace Corps to move to the Amazon. And this is the crazy thing they hand them a manual. And I was reading through some of the stuff in this manual. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, it is dangerous. You're basically, you may not come back alive, but they're so dedicated and so committed, they're not gonna allow anything to stop them from pursuing the things that they feel called to do. So they go to the Amazon. And I wanna read to you a portion of that manual so that you kind of get a feel for what's going on. And this, this portion of the manual tells you what to do in case an anaconda attacks you. There's 10 steps. We're going to need you guys to take down notes in case you ever go to the Amazon. Number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your side and your legs tight against one another. Number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. (laughs) (laughs) Number six, after the snake has examined you, it'll begin to swallow you from the feet and always from that end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and your ankles. And again, do not panic. Number seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. (laughs) This will take a long time. (laughs) Number eight, when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg, then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Number nine, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> and number 10, be sure your knife is sharp. There you have it. If you ever go to the Amazon, now you know how to survive. Whatever it takes. Nothing is going to hold me back from pursuing the things that God has called me to pursue. I don't care the dangers that are out there. I don't care what people are going to think about me. I don't care. I have been called by God to go declare the truth. And yes, I'm supposed to do it in love, but I still got to declare the truth. And I got to stand up for what is right. I've got to make a difference in this world. Wherever I'm at, I am going to stand for Jesus. And I will not stand for the lies of the enemy. And you are not my enemy. You are the one that God loves. And I am going to share the love of Christ with you. Nothing is going to stop me. As the church, we are unstoppable. Unstoppable. All right. So not only does outlook determine outcome, but number two, if we're going to remain unstoppable, we need to be Christ wherever we are. Now, when we think about missions, we often think about going to another country which is awesome. Or we think about, you know, getting behind somebody that feels called to go to another country, which is awesome. Uh, and I think it's great. And, and, and when you go on a missionary trip, it's, it's amazing. I mean, like you're very intentional about this missions trip, right? Like you're, you're planning out your day accordingly. We took a trip. There were 17 of us that went to Switzerland. Yes, it was a missions trip and not a vacation. So we went to Switzerland and we planned this entire thing out, you know, where I would say, okay, we're going to meet <clears throat> uh, first day, number one, you meet in the morning, you have breakfast, you pray, you do devotionals and then we're gonna go out into the streets and the, the byways and the highways and we're just gonna proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, pray for healing, give prophetic words. Whatever God does, we wanna, we wanna be surrendered to that and so we would go out into the streets and just go for it. And then we're gonna meet back up here at a certain time and then we're gonna go back out and so you have this agenda. You're very intentional about what you do and it's the intentionality is the reason why a missions trip to Switzerland is different than a vacation to Switzerland. And I believe the concept of going on missions trip, yes, well, it's it's great, but it falls short of the heart of God. And this is what I mean. God has called us to be on missions wherever we go. And just as the father sent his son, so Jesus is sending us into the world on mission. And as the father has sent me, Jesus says, I also send you. Wherever you go, your workplace, the, the, the grocery store, the beach, wherever you go, we are to be Christ. The great commission, Jesus says, go therefore making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. Jesus is inviting us into a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. And we get an opportunity to exist for something greater and bigger than ourselves and our dramas, our dreams, our wants, and our needs. They get put on the back burner. And we get to flip the world upside down for the name of Jesus. And listen, in so doing, as we go and we're flipping the world upside down, declaring the goodness of Jesus, Jesus begins to take care of our dramas. <laughs> he begins to take care of our dreams and our wants and our needs. That's the God we serve. The greatest adventure that we're ever gonna experience in life is hearing this invitation and responding to it go. But the greatest tragedy is to ignore this invitation and going living life as usual. We've been liberated, set free from the bondage of sin, not so that we can use our freedom to fall back into sin, but so that we can use our freedom to go live on mission and in motion for the glory of God and to help the church to learn to live like Jesus did with mission intentionality. And it's so easy to live in the shadow of who people think we should be or who we think the people think we should be. And we just start to, to, to please people instead of actually living out who God has called us to be. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And I believe believe it was Albert Einstein who said, you know, you are to be a voice, not an echo. God has given you a voice. You don't have to be somebody else. You can be yourself. God has given you a voice and we need you to be the person that God has called you to be so that you can make much of Jesus in his kingdom. Now you might recall the story of Moses and, and, you know, in the conversation that he had with God at the burning bush, you know, the stories that, that's found in Exodus chapter three, radical story, right? So, so the nation of Israel is crying out to God. They're like, God, rescue us. For like 400 years, the nation of Israel had been enslaved and in bondage. And, and so God says, you know what? I'm hearing your cry and I'm going to raise up a deliverer and he finds this guy named Moses out there, you know, tending his father's flock uh, and or father-in-law's flock. And so he stops Moses dead in his, his steps. And he says, Moses, I'm calling you to do something powerful. <clears throat> and this is Moses's response. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? His first response was, who, who am I? That's not my call. I I don't have what it takes. And then he goes on and he says later to God that he's not a very good speaker and somehow he's insinuating that he's not going to be able to convince Pharaoh to give over Israel. But I love what God says to Moses when Moses asks him, who should I say sent me when I go? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. Listen, you may not be qualified. You may not feel strong enough. You may not feel smart enough. You may not you, you may feel too old. You may feel too young. You may not feel studied up enough, but God, when he left, he sent his Holy Spirit and the great I am is with you wherever you go. <clears throat> if you'll say yes to God, if you allow him to position you in the place he's ordained you to be and then determine to stay at your post, no matter what, Victory will come to you. So if we're gonna remain unstoppable, we need to be Christ wherever we are. We need to understand that our outlook determines the outcome. But number three, and this is where we're gonna conclude, we need to keep our first love on. Nancy, if you could go ahead and come back up and just play the keys for me, that would be awesome as I conclude here. Listen, in my Christian walk, I've been through a lot of ups and downs. I've had times where I felt on fire for God. I mean, God was moving radically. Right? My, my relationships are awesome. My job's going well. My marriage is on fire. And I'm just like parenting my kids like the best dad ever. And they're being so obedient. <laughs> and I just feel the presence of God. And it's just amazing. And those are those are those mountaintop experiences that, that many of us long for. But I can tell you, and you know this because you've walked with God sometimes. There's the valley. And there's times where I don't feel the presence of God in my life. There's times where my marriage isn't what I want it to be or my kids aren't doing what I want them to do or I'm not parenting very well. And there's times where my relationships are suffering and my job is is really, really hard. And I'm reminded of something. When I get into those moments, I'm reminded of Revelation chapter two and verses one through four. this is the, the, the message to the church at Ephesus that John writes to. And in Revelation chapter two, it says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You discovered that they're liars and you've patiently suffered with me without quitting. You're unstoppable. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. I said at the beginning that you and I were created in love, through love and for love. And Jesus longs to be your first love. And there's something beautiful that happens in our lives when Jesus becomes his first love, when he takes top priority in our lives. Your marriage becomes healthy. Your businesses begin to boom. Your relationships become healthy. You are unstoppable. And I love what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. He says, remember, therefore, He says, if you're going through this, if you're reading this, and you need this, read this part. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Adam used to wake up early, and you'd read your word, and it wasn't a legalistic thing. It was a love thing. Do it again. Adam used to go and Declare to your coworkers the love of Christ when you had times and moments. Do it again. Adam, you remember when you would just get into the word and you would just be like, Lord, speak to me and I would speak to you? Adam, do it again. Repent, turn. Repentance is often seen as a weakness in our culture because somehow we're not the Marlboro Man anymore. Repentance is actually the first step to greatness. Repentance is the beginning of a fresh and unstoppable life that God has called you to, church. Listen, there's nothing more than God wants to be with you. Religion says, man, I messed up again. ah, And, and, and you fear going to God. But true Christianity, true relationship says, ah, I messed up again. God, that's the heart of God. Listen, church, there may need to be some repentance here today. I don't know your heart. You know your heart. That's between you and the Lord. That's something that you can talk to him about. But I can tell you this, you, 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 me, we are unstoppable. There is nothing that can hold us back. So if you would, would you just stand with me? I wanna pray over you and I wanna make some declarations over you this morning. And so Father, I thank you, Lord, for your church, your bride, And Father, we wanna see you move, but Lord, we know that you've called us to move. And so Father, empower us by your spirit to go forth and to declare your kingdom in this world. Give us strategy, divine strategy on how to do it at work, on how to do it when we're hanging out with our friends, on how to do it when we're hanging out at the beach, wherever we go, Lord, give us divine strategy on how to do it. Speak to us, Lord. Thank you, the great I am is going with us as we go. And I just wanna declare over... <clears throat> over you this this right here, this song. In his strength, we sing. In his salvation, we shout in victory. We trust in him as we plant ourselves in our first love. We will not be moved. No more running, no more falling. We will stand firm in his strength, unshakable, standing on the rock of his faithfulness. We will be unstoppable. I declare that in the name of Jesus. Father, have your way in our hearts. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name and his body says, amen. Awesome, praise God.